0: Well, let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would be with us and you would open up the scriptures for us because you're the real teacher. So teach us from your word, we ask for for the glory of Jesus. Amen. We're in John 17, and we're going to look at verses 13 through 21. But now I'll come to thee. This is Jesus that's still in his prayer before his disciples. But now I come to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask thee to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. As thou didst send me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask in behalf of these alone, but for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be in us, that the world may believe that thou didst send me. This is Jesus' farewell address before his disciples at the, the Last Supper. Jesus has informed them, as you know, that he's going away, that has brought great sorrow to the disciples and it has grieved them to the point even further when he says, even one of you are going to betray me. And so if that's not made matters worse, he says, I'm leaving you. You can't follow me right now, but later you will follow me. And so Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. And I'm going to send you the comforter, the helper, the Holy Spirit, and he will abide with you forever. And if you look, just turn over just a few chapters back, John fourteen twenty six. look what Jesus said about what he was getting ready to do. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Now this is significant, that one of the part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, he will always be with the disciples. He's going to come, and he's referring to the day of Pentecost. He's going to come with great power, but he will abide with you, forever and he will bring to your remembrance everything that I told you and it is interesting as you go through uh, the epistles you go through the book of acts you see the apostles making references to old testament passages exactly taking place just like Jesus said they were remembering all these things now one of the things that Jesus said in John 14:27 that we looked at previously, he promised that he would give his disciples peace. Not the world's peace, but his peace. Now we're going to what we're going to say about this peace is that this is a not an ordinary uh peace. The thrust of the peace that Jesus says that he was going to give his disciples Will be a peace whereby there will, um, we could say, there will be the absence of spiritual unrest. There will be the assurance of God's salvation that they belong to Him. There will be the assurance of God's loving presence with them no matter what they were going to go through. And Jesus says, You're going to go through a lot. In fact, you're going to be hated. By the world, just like it hated me, so he was preparing them. One of the ways Jesus prepares his disciples before his death, resurrection, ascension was telling them in advance what they could expect. So we could, um, when he says, "I'm going to give you that peace," it is a peace that passes all understanding. It can be very, very well summarized in that great hymn we sing: "It is well with my soul." You know that great hymn. And so as, as a believer and you as a believer that has the Holy Spirit with you, you can have that confidence. All is well with my soul. I am right with God through Jesus Christ. I don't need to fear anything. And so once you and I realize that this peace that, that you and I have, that we have been restored to a holy God who is angry with sinners, and will punish us for that sin unless we can give him what we cannot give him, that perfect obedience to the law. Once we understand that that relationship is restored with a holy God through the Lord Jesus Christ, therefore you and I don't have a fear of judgment anymore. That's why 1 John says that perfect love casts out fear. We don't have that fear of judgment anymore that the unbelieving world does have. Now, in John sixteen thirteen, we looked at that Jesus said one of the other things that the Holy Spirit would do, besides give them a peace, was that he said, when he comes, he will guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit will be the one who will guide them into all truth, And it says, now, when he guides you, here's what the primary ministry of the Holy Spirit. The primary ministry of the Holy Spirit in guiding you to all truth is, he's gonna glorify me. He's not gonna glorify himself. The Spirit glorifies Jesus. Now, Jesus told them in John 15, 18, that they would be hated when they go out. He said, I'm sending you out into the world And if the world hates you, it's because it hated me first. And so Jesus says, I'm wanting you to know that when he, he comes, he will guide you. He's going to give you this peace. And one of the other things that is a great ministry of the Holy Spirit that we did take a look at in John 16. Turn to John 16, 32 and 33 for a moment. Notice here, Jesus says, Behold, an hour is coming, and already has come, for you to be scattered, each to his own home, and to leave me alone, and yet I'm not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. He says, I'm going to give you a piece. And he says, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Now that's joy. To be of, uh, to rejoice or to, um, as he says here in John sixteen thirty three, specifically says, In the world you shall have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. You know, just a few hours, Jesus is going to be delivered up to the Sanhedrin. He said the hour had come, the power of darkness had been granted to them for Jesus to be arrested and to be killed. But he says to these disciples, he says, in the world, by the way, I'm going to send you out into this world. I'm going to send you out into the world with this, be of good courage. I have overcome the world. Because I have overcome the world, you can overcome the world as well through me. And what I'm going to do for you, particularly in the Holy Spirit that's going to be sent to you. So you think about that. What a promise in in John 16, 33. He's going to send them out to preach. They're going to be hated for their preaching. He says, you're going to have tribulation. You only have to read the book of Acts to see just what degree of tribulation there was. But Jesus says... He's going to return to his glory, and uh, he's going to die. He's going to die. He's going to be resurrected. He's going to go and be glorified in his resurrection. He's going to ascend to the Father's right hand to assume his role, as kingly role over planet Earth. Now, Jesus returns to the glory that he once had with his Father. Remember, that's what he prayed earlier in his prayer. Father, glorify me with the glory that I had with you before the world was. So he's going back to the, his Father, the glory. His glorification means, we already saw that last week, what is Jesus doing there? As was pointed out earlier this morning, he's not on a vacation. He is praying constantly for us. So that's what he's doing at the right hand of God the Father. He is, what else is he doing? He is empowering us by the Holy Spirit whom he has sent to us, poured out lavishly upon us, as the book of Titus says, that he has done. And it means, he says, in right before in John seventeen twelve. In his prayer to his father, he says, I'm going to you, Father. He says, I guarded them. I kept them while I was in the world. I watched over them, except for one, the son of perdition. I didn't watch over him, but I did watch over all these others. Now, I say all of this to build up to the astounding verse 13. Look at verse 13, John 17. But now I come to thee, he's praying to his Father, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy made full in themselves. My joy made full in themselves. That's what I'm praying, Father, on their behalf. Now, Jesus is praying in the presence of his Father. He wants the Father to glorify him simply because, well, I've done everything you wanted, Father. I fulfilled the purpose to why I came into this world, and I want you to glorify me. So Jesus manifested, he says, I manifested thy word to them, Father. Whatever you told me, I passed it on to them. And so Jesus says, I guarded them. But then he says, I come to thee, O Father, and I speak to them in the world that they may have my joy. My joy. Now, if you go out on the streets out here and coming, and you talk to the average person, anywhere you talk to the average person, you would probably find them say, well, what would you? What do you want to get out of life? And I'm, I'm thinking primarily of unbelievers. Well, I just want to be happy. I just want to be happy. In other words, I want joy. At least they think of a certain joy of what may bring them joy. So they say, I want to be happy. I want to be joyous. But as you know, the unbeliever. Is going um, in his quest for happiness, in trying to get that joy, he will never find it in himself because that joy can only be found in Jesus. Now, Jesus is praying to the Father Father, I want my joy, my joy in them. So we have to ask the next question, oh, what is Jesus' joy in the Father, if we're going to understand how it applies to us? So in this regard, we've got to discover then, what did made, what made Jesus joyful? All right? That would help us out. And once we understand that, then we can have an idea then, then that what made Jesus joyful and his joy is going to be made complete in, in us. So I need to understand what is that joy that made Jesus so happy, so joyful? Well, first of all, we get a glimpse to that. Let's go back to the first five verses of John 17. These things Jesus spoke Lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy son, that thy son may glorify thee. Even as thou gavest authority over all mankind, that to all whom thou hast given him, he may give eternal life. And this is eternal life, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. I glorified thee on the earth, having accomplished the work which thou hast given me to do. So when Jesus said, I have accomplished the work that you gave me to do, we have to think back to the angel's revelation to Mary and to Joseph when Mary was carrying the holy child, Jesus because the angel said to Joseph, You're gonna, you shall call this boy Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. We've already noted, what was the whole purpose of the incarnation of the eternal Son of God, but to come and save sinners? So what does Jesus says? Father, I've accomplished the task you gave me. Now, we've made. I made this comment last week, I'm gonna mention again, Notice Jesus is referring to a completed action. It hadn't happened yet. He hasn't gone to, he hasn't been officially betrayed yet. He hasn't died on the cross yet. He hasn't been resurrected or ascended yet. And he hasn't been glorified yet. So he says, I have, I have, in Greek, that's aorist tense, which is the equivalent to past tense in English. I've done what you wanted me to. We made a comment last week. This is the glory of prophecy. Prophecy is by its very nature predestination, right? Is there any prophecy that cannot come to pass? Well, of course not. It's guaranteed, right? It's predestined. And so Jesus can speak of future events as if they had already happened because of the certainty that they're going to happen. So we see here, another thing to understand about this joy is turn over to Luke chapter two for a moment. The baby Jesus has been born and these angels show up to these shepherds abiding in the field. Okay, Look at verse 10 and 11, Luke 2. And the angel said to them, do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of what? A great joy which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Right there you have it. What was the great joy? The great joy is the Messiah has arrived. The Messiah who has been sent to pay the penalty for our sins to save us has arrived. And so this joy of this Messiah that has been born is all wrapped up in his purpose on earth. That is the joy. Jesus had to be the Lamb of God, right? John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He had to be that atoning sacrifice. Now to understand what this joy Jesus is saying further is that of that joy that's going to be made complete in us, because remember, he's praying to the Father, Father, may my joy be made complete in them. So I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 12. And I want you to look at, Verses 1 and 2. We're asking again the question, what is what is the joy that Jesus has that's going to be made full in us? All right, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin of which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. Now watch. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God now the writer of hebrews is saying you're involved in this great race it's the race of life and in this race of life there's going to be a lot of difficulties now what remember what did jesus tell the disciples they were going to face a lot of difficulties that they'd be hated in the world. That's what they were gonna face. So we're all running in this race and it says, when we're running this race, what are we supposed to do? You know, when you run a foot race, and I've run a few in my time, and and, and during that race, has anybody ever run long distance before? Okay, we got one in the back. During a long distance race, you are at some point hurting. I've never had a good runner ever say, I never hurt. You just learn to run through the pain. And you know, what, What's the only reason you go through the pain? I'm gonna get to the finish line. I'm gonna make it to the finish line. In Colburn, Virginia, my first pastor, I had a guy in my church that ran into Boston Marathon. He was really good. And they, we had a, uh, a 5K race. A midnight five miler in Kingsport, Tennessee, and we were running, and there was probably about a thousand people. He came in fourth, and I was way back behind him. He comes back and finds me, and <laughs> it was hot that night, and I was hurting pretty bad. He comes along, his name is Danny. He says, "Hi, right, John. You can pass about sixty people between now. All I want to do is go and just throw up." Oh, well, you can make it. You, you can pass 60 people. Just hang in there. You can do it. And so you, you run a race and you fix your eyes on the, the goal. I'm gonna finish. I'm gonna finish the race. Well, who's in the, in the race of life? Who's gonna help us? Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And so we see here that he's the, well, how's he How's he the author? Well, for one, it says that he came to us, all that the Father has given to me shall come to me, John 6, 37, and him who comes to me I will in no wise cast out. I will raise him up on the last day. And so... What kept Jesus, what the text says, he endured the cross for the joy set before him. Remember, he came out of glory. He was headed to glory. But he was going to have to go through the veil of tears. And he would have to literally, he would have to experience hell on our behalf. But you know what? Jesus did it for us. He did it for you and you and you and me. He endured that agony for the joy of having done the will of the Father and then to have us with him forever. It was worth it to Jesus. It was worth it. Now, One of the things we we learned from Philippians 2, 4 through 9, that says that the eternal Son humbled himself, did not consider it something to be clung to, to be equal with God, but emptied himself. He didn't empty himself of his divinity. He emptied himself of his glory that he had with the Father. And the fact, the glory that he had with the Father, he had to come into this sin-ridden world and be humiliated 33 years of his life to deal with sinners. And he was not a sinner. And so what we see here, he did all of that. And the scripture says, he was obedient to the point of death. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name above every name. Jesus says, why did he endure the cross? But for the joy that was set before him. He knew that the gain was far greater than the pain that he would have to endure. On, remember, on our behalf, why did he come? He, he didn't come for himself. He came for us. He came for us. He died a horrible death for us. And therefore, this joy, Jesus' suffering was worth it because it led to your and mine salvation is what it led to. And we got to understand that Jesus' work was not for himself, but was for us. And that glory that he left, he was going to come back He was going to get it, but he'd have to go through that veil of tears to get it. And he was raised from the dead, according to Romans 4.25, for our justification. Everything that Jesus did in this world was for our sake. Every single thing. And the joy set before Jesus the joy of returning to the Father, the joy of now, imagine the joy Jesus has. I'm going to send you the comforter. You didn't have him abiding with you uh, of the magnitude that I'm about to send him to and the joy that that Jesus has in sending out the Spirit for the Spirit to go and bring lost souls to himself. That's got to be joyous. To Jesus. Remember as was preached in uh, those parables Sunday morning uh, months ago. What did Jesus say? That there is what in heaven over one sinner who repents? Joy. Joy in heaven with the angels over just one sinner repenting. And so we see you really want to know how to get that, that joy made full in you that Jesus was praying to the Father was? We get that joy, brethren, when we contemplate on the same joy that awaits us, that, what Jesus was awaiting. When we contemplate on that, then we get that same joy that Jesus had. Now I want us to turn to a couple passages. Turn over to 1 John chapter 3. Look at verses 1 and 2. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. And such we are. For this reason the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are the children of God and it has not appeared as yet what we shall be. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him just as he is. And then verse four says, or verse three, and everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. What it's saying is a way that you and I can be sanctified, made holy in this life, is for us to regularly think about what it's going to be like when Jesus comes and we are raised up with him and our bodies are translated from mortal to immortality in the twinkling of an eye and we shall be changed instantly and we shall see Jesus exactly as he is with his glorified body that preceded us Because he, as 1 Corinthians 15 says, was the first fruits of those who are raised from the dead. And when you and I fix our eyes on that hope, it changes us. And it's a joy. It's a joy. That is a joy that we're looking for, the joy of being with Jesus. The joy of seeing him face to face, what that will be like. Turn over to 1 Peter 1. First Peter 1. We're going to start at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a what? A living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ, And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you what? You greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. It's going to be so great that words cannot hardly describe it. You you and I will rejoice exceedingly with great joy. Now, what made Jesus joyful in his prayer to his Father? That he knew that he had accomplished what God wanted, and he was going to go and be glorified with the Father. And And so when he said, Father, I want my joy to be in them, Well, that joy that made Jesus happy, joyful, the fact that he bought our eternal redemption, and you and I know that that eternal inheritance awaits us, then we can have that same joy on a lesser sense, I suppose, because we're not God in the flesh, but we can have that, wonderful joy and what did peter say even though for a short while you've been distressed by various trials <clears throat> well some of those trials that peter was probably aware well aware of in the 60s ad was nero using christians as torches in his garden those christians who were torn apart by savage animals in the Colosseum. And yet they could sing great hymns of praise according to Irenaeus and others who knew Polycarp, who witnessed some of those um, killings. These Christians were joyful in dying. Why would you be joyful? I'm going to go be with Jesus. I'm going to go and be and have my... Heavenly inheritance. I'm going to tell this real short because y'all heard Dr. Cromondon when he was here. Cromondon, there was a story Al Baker told. Cromondon was over in South uh, in Africa, and this was back in the 80s or the 70s. Anyway, <clears throat> they were flying from one part, he and his ministry, to another part of Africa back during the days where the cockpit was open, this was a commercial airline, and he said, sometime during the flight, the plane just goes like that, and Cromedon and, uh, said to his, his associate, Something, something's going on. He said, well, let's go see. So two of his men got up, were able to go in the cockpit, only to see a guy had the pilot on a chokehold. And the, and the pilot, the co-pilot couldn't do much about it, and these two guys of the ministry of Kravendam were able to wrestle that guy away from the pilot, and they were able to get that plane to go up. Later, when they safely landed, <clears throat> I think it was in Uganda was where, where they were headed, the uh, co-pilot said to them, he says, we were five seconds away of not being able to get the plane up because there's a certain point According to physics, you will not be able to get the plane, no matter how much you try to give it gas. He says, we were five seconds away. So Kravendam, I mean, God delivered him, right? Kravendam told this mission group that he went to see, you know what this young young African girl says? Oh, Mr. Kravendam, you just missed Jesus like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'll tell you what. It's a joy To think about the glory That awaits us It was a joy for Jesus And it's to be a joy for us And remember If you turn back to John 17 Jesus is telling them He says look I've given them Thy word father And the world has hated them Verse 14 They're not of the world even as I know the world, I do not ask thee to take them. You notice that. I'm not asking them for you to take them out of the world. What I'm asking you, Father, is that you keep them from the evil one. They're going to stay. I'm just asking you, Father, to protect them. Because they're going to go out in a world that hates them. They're going to go out to the world that will want to kill them. And we'll kill them, many of them. He says, that's where I'm sending them. And I just want you to watch over them. You know, nothing's going to happen to us until it's that time. It wasn't that time for Henry Cromondom on that plane. And nothing will ever happen to you and me unless God sovereignly says it's, it's that time. But remember, <clears throat> we are going out and we will experience tribulation. <clears throat> but notice what Jesus says. Verse 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Right here. Thy word is truth. Right here. Thy word is truth. That's why I want you to sanctify them. Now what did Jesus tell his disciples that one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit would be? He would guide you into all truth. So you know what the Holy Spirit does? The Holy Spirit with us... illumines our understanding of the word of God. It makes an unintelligible book, maybe before where we couldn't understand it, because as Paul says, you have to have spiritual glasses. You've got to have a regenerated heart to understand the things of God. Well, the Holy Spirit is that ministry who opens the scriptures so that you and I can understand. Well, where do you and I get these glorious promises about what awaits us because of our redemption? Here we are. In the the word of God, in the promises of God, when we by faith cling to To the scriptures. When we cling to the scriptures by believing every precious word in this book. You see, it's in the scriptures that we get our hope. It's in the scriptures that we learn about Jesus. It's in the scriptures that we learn what Jesus did It's in the scriptures that we know of what awaits us. It's in the word of God. It's in the word of God. Father, I want you to sanctify them in thy truth. Thy word is truth. I gave them thy word when I was with them. And I'm going to see what Jesus said. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to to what? Well, after Jesus was resurrected, before he ascended, he appeared to the disciples. He said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and disciple all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything that I taught you. And lo, I am with you always to the end of the world. I will be with you. I will be with you. And so what was that joy made complete in us? Because Jesus says, I paid the price of redemption. I did it, Father. I saved every one of them. You sent me to save. I, I saved every last one of them. And I will save everyone. And the world will not end until the last elect person is brought to saving faith. And we can rejoice that that joy that was in Jesus for accomplishing redemption, we are the recipients of that. And we will get that magnificent Opportunity to be with our Jesus in a glorified body and a glorified soul forever. And some of you know recently what I've written on. It's why I'm so passionate to insist the importance of a glorified body of the saints. Because without that glorified, that hope, you've taken away you gutted the glory of the gospel if you take that away. God forbid. Lord, be with us. Drive these these truths home and may we exalt the name of Jesus who endured the cross for the joy set before him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Amen.